0: This is your host, Aram Milkumov, and you're listening to another episode of the Product Innovation Show. Every week, the guests that we have on our show share their stories and wisdom on how to ship great product. Taylor Sell is joining me today. He's the director of product at Trainual, a SaaS platform that changes the way small businesses onboard, train, and scale teams. Uh, previously, Taylor launched multiple products in print, automotive, and service-based industries, and loves writing on Medium. About product teams in early stage startups, Taylor. Thank you for coming on today. It's a
1: great, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on our show. Yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm super excited to be here today, and uh, I can't wait to dive into some of the questions you have. Awesome. So the
0: first question I have is, uh, you know, we've been following you guys, and uh, we we noticed that through. The, the development of the company, you guys went through a, a big stage of, of hyper growth. Can you tell us a little about the, about the backstory of that growth? Uh, what happened, how did, you, how did you go from one point to another point?
1: Yeah, yeah, so great question. Um, so I joined the Trainual team about a little over two and a half years ago. And so uh, when I joined the team, it was myself, uh, we'd one product designer and two in-house engineers So really really small team really scrappy team right but that's how we kind of started and over the past you know two years we've we've grown exponentially from the people side of things and just like what we're doing as you know product design and engineering organization we have just shy of 30 engineers now uh, we have a team of six product managers and we have a team of six designers as well so uh, in a very short amount of time like we've we've grown exponentially as far as you know the the people that are in the organization and, and our investment in product and design at Trainul has been uh, pretty awesome to see that. So uh, that's kind of where we were at. That's where we're at today. And and yeah, anytime uh, you grow that quickly, there's a lot of uh, good things that happen, and there's a lot of bumps in the roads along the way. So I'm sure we'll uncover some of those in, in our chat today here.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. It's it's some really impressive growth over the, over that period of time. And what was what was your role in your transformation? Did you start off as a product manager?
1: Did you, were you, when you joined, did you start off as a director of product? Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. Great question. When I, when I joined, uh, I came in as a director of product, but I was basically doing all of the IC work as well, uh, as well as running the product and design teams, the team of two. Right. Uh, and so that's kind of where I started. And then, uh, my role is kind of transitioned more into just kind of like the leadership side of things, strategy, long-term direction of the product, Uh, And then really kind of bringing people in to kind of facilitate some of the, you know, the the PM responsibilities, the design team responsibilities as well. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, basically the person to help hire and bring the right people in, structure the team, figure out how we want to operate as a as an organization, as a product department. Uh, And uh, yeah, that's where we're where we're at today. So, yeah, pretty exciting. So through this growth that you guys went through, what were some of the biggest growth pains? Yeah so um the probably the biggest thing and uh, was just how the different teams operated so initially when we started we were a very horizontal product department right so No matter where you were like you could touch any part of the product Uh, so maybe one quarter or one month you're working on our trial flow the next uh, month you're working on like how people document processes in the product right and so you could really touch anything we were really nimble so no matter what came up or what we needed to address we were able to put the necessary people and teams in those places to build out certain functionality or experiences and and as we've grown uh, what we really started to see is people were stepping on each other's toes where it's like, hey, you know, I'm trying to build this part or this feature out and another team is trying to do something very similar. And so the overhead necessary to coordinate and figure out what everyone was working on, when they were working on it, when we were rolling certain things out, uh, it, it was one of those pain points where it's like, hey, this is not gonna scale. Like we have are hiring people constantly, we're continuing to hire people, like this is not something that's gonna work for the long-term and, and we need to kind of uh, adjust that. So, I mean, that was probably one of the biggest things that has happened over the past year where where we reorged, we restructured we revamped our processes what teams are focusing on to really eliminate some of that that overhead and some of that friction between between different squads
0: uh very interesting so I'm, i'm really curious to know how did you go about restructuring the team or what changed in like the dynamics of of your product teams
1: yeah, so the uh, g- good question. Like the biggest thing was, like I said earlier, it was, it was very horizontal, right? So you could touch any part of the product depending on where the need of the business was or what our customers were telling us. And the, and the biggest shift we went to is actually like we verticalized the teams, And uh, so the term we use internally is called product lines. And so basically, you'd have different uh, product teams or product squads, and they would own a very specific part of the product, right? So we'd have a team that's dedicated to the people experience. So that's things like our directory or org chart or roles and responsibilities, anything to do with people in your organization, we had a team dedicated to that and building that out in the product. Uh, Other teams would be we had a growth team. So they were focused on the trial experience, getting people activated, getting people to convert, we had a team that was dedicated to documentation so how you write processes how you write policies and so the big thing there is like we verticalize so that not only were you not stepping on other teams toes right but you're also able to plan for the future of that you know area of the product that you were owning right so you could really put a strategy in place you could um really understand the pain points and problems with that area of the product there we limited and we tried to remove as much context switching as possible so that the team is really able to just be heads down and execute against that strategy or that direction of the of the product or product line that they were actually owning right and so you know obviously with that transition you know we put people in different roles and different positions to to help them shine and to, to kind of you know build with their strengths, um, and to, to really execute against that verticalization of the of the teams and what they worked on.
0: Well, that's re- that's interesting. Um, with the team that you had in place and like the new team members that you brought on during this verticalization, uh, yeah. you know, Focusing on the product lines, how did you? What were some things that you did in order to help get buy-in from those team members in terms of the shift that they had to maybe change? In terms of working within a product line like uh because i'm sure some people had preferences
1: or maybe you know requests that they wanted to have so how do you navigate that yeah um really i think it really boiled down to just being super transparent about where we were going why we were going that way and then just giving people a safe space to ask questions And so for for me and for my team, it was really just saying like, okay, here's why we're making this transition. Here's the problems that we're running into that aren't scaling. Here's the direction we want to go. Here's how that's going to work. Here's how you are going to be impacted. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time sitting down with everyone individually in one-on-one conversations just to say hey, like, this is why we're doing this. But I understand this impacts you, you know, uh, if you have questions or concerns or things you want to talk through, like, let's talk through that, because mm-hmm. I want to make sure we're addressing those before we decide to go this direction. Uh, and and it's really comes down to making sure you're creating that safe space, wh- whether that's in a, a specific department or group setting where people can ask questions together as a team, or, you know, if it is that one on one, you know, direct conversation where people feel comfortable, that's, you need to create that space so that people can get their concerns, they can get their questions out there and you can address them. Uh, and then when you get into those you know, larger, like company-wide communication or you're communicating something across all of product design and engineering, it really becomes more of a celebration where it's like, hey, this is the direction we're going, everyone's bought in, everyone's super excited about this. Uh, and it's like we're, we're rallying everyone together for that transition and getting people excited about that. But it, it really starts with just making sure people uh, have that space to ask questions and, and address their concerns um, early on so they feel comfortable with that, with that transition.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um,
0: how long did this period, this whole process take? Because the reason why I want to ask is I'm sure there was some fires Or I don't know, some, you know, big things that maybe happened that maybe didn't go as planned during
1: this reorg. Yeah. Uh, Can you share? Yeah, I can. (laughs) So I'll talk a little bit about when the conversation started happening. And, And so I think the whole process probably took start to finish from like the conversation starting to actually, you know, we're obviously following that model now probably like six months. Um, and you know, depending on the, you know, what company you're working in or like what size of organization, if you're a startup, you're probably like, Hey, that's, that's pretty quick. Or that's, you know, maybe it's too long, large organizations. It might take much longer. Right. But, um, you know, really, I think from start to finish, it was about six months just saying like, okay, this is the hiring plans. This is where we're going to be, you know, growing the teams. This is our you know, headcount planning for all of next year. And what are some of the problems we're going to run into? What are some of the problems the team has brought up as far as how we're operating right now? And where are some of those bottlenecks or inefficiencies? And we talked through that. And then from there, we figured out, well, what is the structure that addresses those concerns? supports the hiring plan for the future. So when we bring these people in, you know, they're not coming into chaos. They're coming into something that has a little bit more structure and direction and they can, you know, hit the ground running. Uh, and then all the way down to the actual execution itself and making sure those transitions happened and everyone's into the new teams and we're operating the in the new way. But um yeah, there was definitely, you know, headaches along the way as well. I'm more than happy to to talk about some of those if, if you'd like as well. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. I think the... Um, probably the biggest thing is like you can have the plan you can have the date you can communicate everything out everyone can be bought in but the execution is super super important right and so for us you know when we we hit that transition phase and people were moving around people were wrapping up projects people were figuring out like okay this is an ongoing project like someone else has to come in and take this on like how do i prepare Uh, my work for that individual to take it over like that's the very in the weeds like part of that transition and so you know um, as a leader like that's something that I kind of missed like it's not something that I supported my team on as as well as I possibly could have Uh, and we kind of let's say we paid for it I think the team really rallied around that and did a great job kind of working through some of those uh, some issues in the transitioning but like uh, after the transition happened it was like we had to you know go, go heads down and figure out okay where are some of these design files where are some of the stories like what context we need to share with this individual and it took time to ramp people up on that right and so being able to prepare for that even at the highest possible level and then all the way down to like the minutia of the stories or the teams or the, the meeting cadences or like the design files, like all of that is super, super important when you are transitioning individuals and what everyone is working on. So that was a huge takeaway of something that, uh, obviously we, I think we could have done a lot better. It's a, it's a lesson learned and something we will uh, in the future, if there are reorgs or transitions, we'll definitely, uh, handle it much better. <laughs> so I was going to be my next question is that if you
0: were to do this again, what specifically would you do differently or how, you know, how would you approach it?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, outside of like having the, the clear, I think guidelines for all the individuals to know what is being hand off uh, handed off to other, you know, members of the team or that trans like specific transition plan. Obviously that is something that I think um, uh, c- could be improved and how I would change it. The other thing too, is like, it's really important to remember that we're all human beings, right? And so from a from a business perspective, from a operational perspective, sometimes you can get detached from, you know, the team and the relationships that they've built. And so it's really easy to say, like, this is the direction we go. This is why we're going this direction. This is why it makes sense for the business and the teams. But product design and engineering are such a tight-knit group of individuals. Like, they really go through the thick of it. Like product management and just working in software and working in tech is not an easy job, right? Like it's very, very challenging, right? And so when you go through those trials or tribulations or whatever you want to call them, like, that network or that bond that you build with with your team is super super important. And so, uh, going back to my original point of like we're all human. Like when you are changing people and moving them to different teams, like you're 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 breaking that relationship, right? And in some cases, like friendships, right? Like these are people that work together constantly. They're people that you know uh, work out. Uh, they hang out outside of the you know work as well, right? And so. That's one of those things where knowing that and taking that into consideration and allowing those new relationships to be built uh, with those new teams and with those new individuals, like that takes time. So um, it's one of those things where like doing like team building events or having people get together um, uh, before the transition happens, they can kind of build that working relationship is definitely something that I would have changed as well um so that when they get into those teams they understand how people work they understand how people operate and they've kind of built some of that relationship and so they can really kind of hit the ground running so that's uh, that's one of the other things i would have definitely created more space for uh to build those relationships before the transition happened
0: no okay great thanks thanks for sharing that um yeah the next series of questions i have is more going to be around um product development so um you know there's other product managers directors of product you know obviously know this but sometimes like you might not always have the time uh to go and speak to all the customers that you want to speak uh so it's an unfortunate you know restriction or circumstance obviously if it comes to that but yes. um there's always a time and a place in order to to do that but oftentimes, what we've seen is that decision decisions need to need that uh, sorry decisions need to be made uh, without having the opportunity to speak to those customers so yeah. uh, it could be around a specific deadline or or whatnot so w- when you guys have been building your product and you look at your product roadmap how how did you go about or have you had to skip kind of any customer talks uh, with the products that you've been you know developing and yeah. if you did how did you how did you go about that
1: yeah. That's, um, so I'd be lying to you if I said that I never skipped a customer call when I'm building something out. So it is, it, a, it is you know, especially in startups, right? When you're moving super fast, you're trying to get things out there, you're trying to hit deadlines, like you have to make certain concessions. And unfortunately, some of the, sometimes that is, you know, the necessary validation or customer calls to really understand if you're building the right thing or building the right experience to, you know, ship, right? And so... You know, if that is the circumstance that you're working through as an organization, it's one of the things that you're ultimately just increasing the level of risk, right? Like you're just increasing that you might be wrong. And if you're okay with that as an organization, like you're okay with the level of risk that you're introducing or just the uncertainty that you have like it's okay to maybe skip some of those things if there's alignment around like, hey, we don't have all the validation. It's okay if we're wrong, but we need to move really quickly. We needed to get something out there. And so there's there's alignment and buy-in from the entire organization, from the team, if that is like when push comes to shove that you have to go through, right? Um, In addition to that, like if you are in those types of circumstances, I think it's important to it's not just hitting the deadline and delivering the feature or delivering the solution, but like what were you ultimately trying to achieve? Like what was the outcome of building that feature, right? And so there's a level of accountability that if you wanna move super quick, or you want to increase the level of like, risk tolerance or what you're, you know, what you're okay with, it's still important to keep yourself accountable at the end of the day to say, hey, we were trying to, let's say, you know, increase trial signups or increase revenue, or we were trying to get greater adoption around this specific feature, so we rolled out an iteration to it. Like, you need to understand why you're building that feature and what is the outcome you want to achieve, because then when you ship it, you can go back and say, hey, we, you know, we missed the mark. Uh, but we learned from that, uh, and now we can pivot or now we can iterate and and kind of build upon what we actually got out there. So at the end of the day, even if you don't get in front of customers or you have a you know a rough deadline it's important to understand what you 're trying to achieve and keeping yourself accountable, keeping the team accountable to those decisions that you can learn and build a, you know build upon that but um, for for kind of what we do at Trainual and how we try and mitigate that is just create the time and the space to talk with customers and talk with customers constantly. So it starts with, you know, just uh, me as a leader and instilling that in my team that like validation and talking with customers and understanding their pain points, understanding if we're solving the issues that they have, like that is super important. Uh, And you need to create the time and the space for your team to be able to actually do that, right? And so, you know, as product managers, as people in product, like we are juggling so many different things. So if you really don't carve out time to have those types of conversations or sit down with customers, you will fill it with a million other things that are on your plate, right? So for us, we do uh, customer call days uh, every single week. So we actually block off six hours um on Fridays, currently it's every Friday, uh where our team just has you can't schedule over it, you can't get out of it, like that's your time to talk with customers. Uh and so that way we're continually giving the team the time and the space to have those calls and we're consistently doing those. So when we do have a deadline change or something does come up, like we've had ample time to talk with customers to obviously prepare for for that. Uh and it, it helps us mitigate risk along the way. But yeah, that's really what we've been doing. It's It's been uh, helpful for the team to carve that out. And we have a lot of other members. So like we have uh, like our CX team or customer facing teams, like they now now know that they can send customers to us knowing that we'll talk with them if they have product feedback or whatever. So a lot of the other departments and people that are interfacing with our customers, they're helping send customers over to us to reduce the overhead of our, our uh, product team and like setting those calls up. But it really all starts with just carving out the time and the place for your team to have those conversations and not just have them, but consistently have them every single week. Uh, it's great to hear
0: because a lot of companies that uh, you know, I've spoken to in the past, they don't give their PMs that type of uh, privilege. So was there a specific inflection point that you as a leader or your, you know, your leadership team in the company said, this is important. We need to do this consistently. Um, otherwise, we will fail.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I don't know if there was like a specific inflection point. It's something that when I joined the training team, it's it's something that I brought in, like this is part of our discovery process. This is how we are going to operate as a, as a product organization. And I think the biggest thing for the team and how we kind of piece everything together is like okay we've got so many different things going on we don't have the time and the place for it right we don't have time to do all these customer calls and so that's what really pushed us to say like we need to dedicate you know time every single week that is purely dedicated to just customer calls right i think um, just in general any product organization when you're building things the, the biggest question is like, are people using what we're building? Is it, is it providing any type of value? And if, if the answer is like, I don't know if people are using it, I don't know if it's providing value, like you can be spending a ton of time and money across not just product and design, but engineering as well to build things that really aren't going to help move the business forward. And so there's there's an immediate ROI as an organization or as a leadership team to say, well do we want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars building something and we could be wrong or do we want to take a little bit of time for a couple individuals to do some of that validation early on and then the chance of success or the chance of building something that's actually going to be valuable to our customers is going to go much much higher and so if you think about it in that way uh, and the money you'll spend on a product that fails versus spending a few hours up front or a day up front. To, to make sure the success of that feature or product goes up significantly. It's a it's a no brainer, I think, uh, for me and for, for any product leader, really. No,
0: for sure. Um, and so I'm just curious now if you could share with us um, those Friday sessions, six hour block times, the yeah. PMs obviously have to prep uh, for those days. Yeah. What are some of the questions or scenarios that they form? in advance or, you know, hopefully not on the day of, (laughs) but like in advance, which is like either a hypothesis that they create or, you know, whatever the problem validation that they want to determine, how much time did they spend every week just preparing versus doing the calls and then reflecting on it?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think the way way we kind of structured the calls is that they're it's it's not only PMs but our designers are there as well. And so they are typically trading off as far as who's running the calls, who's taking notes, and then they'll they'll kind of take their notes at the end of the call and synthesize so they can see like, hey, here's what I heard, here's what you heard. And so we're building some of that prep and kind of debrief into those those Friday customer call days, right? as far as prepping like the team will do that throughout the week leading up to the friday right and so it can be like an hour here or two hours throughout the week leading up to the friday customer call but um really what they're focusing on is dependent on you know what the team is trying to do so it can be just a general conversation about like what do you like about the product like what's working what's not working any general feedback it can be to your point about hey we We have a hypothesis we believe that if we build this feature we'll see this type of outcome and it's more of like problem discovery and just understanding like are we focusing on the right thing or it could be you know throwing different prototypes in front of somebody for a usability test or maybe we shipped something recently and it's like hey um you used our org chart recently or you just used this feature hey can we pick your brain about what you liked what you didn't like what was working what wasn't working so The team has a lot of freedom to figure out okay what do we need answers on what do we need to get validation on or what do we need to kind of uh determine if like we built the right thing even post development like they're they're adapting and changing the type of questions or calls that they're having based on the needs of their team and and the customers that they're getting in on on fridays
0: okay okay um very interesting thank you um i want to ask follow-up question to that is um some of the companies that I've been speaking with sometimes have, um, a lot of the big epics or their, you know, main feature sets that they want to roll out in the, in the year, broken out in quarters or sometimes in uh, smaller frequencies. Mm-hmm. And so then they basically commit to those deliverables in, 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 uh, that they want to, uh, ship. Um, when, when your team has those conversations, uh, with, um, your customers, uh, how many, you know, maybe in a quarter, how many, how many conversations do you have, which are related to new features that you guys want to develop, uh, versus the testing, uh, features that were rolled out. And the reason why I ask because I want to know, how do you plan out the commitments that you want to make around new features that you want to roll out? on a quarterly monthly basis and uh, just like the ratio because you know um other i think product managers that are going to be listening to this call are really curious to know like what's like your release schedule you know uh yeah. that, that is comfortable for the team to sustain um without overburdening them with like existing obligations
1: yeah that's it a- that's a great question. And I think, so the way we do like planning here at Trainual is um, we have outcome-based roadmaps, right? And so it's, we're saying, hey, we want to achieve this certain outcome within this given time period. Uh, and then the team is then working to figure out like, what are the different features or different ideas that would help us ultimately achieve that by that specific time frame, right? And so that's kind of where it all starts. Uh, and then from there, having those customer calls or talking with customers and then understand like well is it something it's a new problem that we're just not addressing well or is it expanding upon what we already have in the product uh, and building that to add more functionality or to make it a better experience or whatever the case may be right and so you know leading up to um the way we the the outcome-based roadmaps is like leading up to that we'll have like the annual plan as far as what we're trying to achieve from the product side and the product department and then the team will have time leading up to a quarter or leading up to the year to actually do that discovery and research primarily we'll use a lot of those customer calls on Fridays to change a lot of those conversations to be more about like where do we go do we build new functionality do we build you know expand upon existing functionality so um I really don't know if I have a good breakdown for you as far as like new functionality versus iterating on existing. That's a it's a really good question. I think it depends upon you know uh, what we're hearing from the customers and where we want to go from like a product vision perspective, right? And so I don't, I don't know if I have a good percentage there, but um, I think part of it is understanding where you're trying to go for the quarter or for the year and then really figuring out, well, what are the things that um, are, are going to help us achieve that? Is it new functionality or is it expanding upon existing? Um, we we use some tools and systems internally. Product board is, is a... Is a I guess I'll give them a plug, but, uh, Mm -hmm. basically that is a place for like all of the customer insights and feedback to come. And it's a, it's a repository for all of that. So when we get into our planning and kind of figure out like, well, what do we want to focus on? What are we going to try and do to actually hit some of these metrics or goals? Like we have a dedicated place where we can actually search and say like, okay, this part of the product is getting a ton of feedback. Uh, this thing is struggling. or We're not doing a good job with this. And that really kind of enables the team to figure out, okay, this is an area we can be focusing on. These are the questions we should be asking to customers. And that kind of opens up some of those opportunities for them to kind of uh, invest in. But did I, did I answer your question? Or yeah, is there yeah, something no, else it's
0: great. I, I, okay. I mean, I, Other other than product board, are there any kind of um, other solutions that you use to help you track or uh, discover new um, product requests?
1: Yeah, so. So a couple of things so we product board is a great place to store all the information we also record all of our conversations across the board so recording in the sense of like a designer doing a research call or a pm and that is also put into a repository that is keyword matched so I can actually go look up any conversation in the past that the team has had about a specific idea or a specific problem. And now we can actually surface all of the, the conversations that we've had in the past about that specific area, right? And so. That is also super helpful. The tool we use for that is called Grain. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but that's actually something we implemented relatively recently. But it it takes all of those conversations that are happening uh, and and making it all searchable, right? And so even our sales and marketing teams and customer-facing teams, they'll start using that as well. So we can even start digging into, okay, this is a sales conversation where we couldn't close the deal because we didn't have this functionality or, you know, we didn't do this thing or or solve a use case that they were looking to use train for. Right. And so that really starts enabling the team to figure out what are the common themes that are coming up uh, and have a dedicated place to pull those resources, not have to repeat the process every time we go into planning or every time we try and figure out what to build or where to spend our time.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of green. I'll, I'll check it out.
1: Um,
0: Cool. Uh, Last uh, segment of the of the recording today is that we were trying something new and they're fireside questions. Um, The goal is like you have one to two minutes uh, to answer some of these questions. Um, There's a total of four. So um, you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. Let's go. All right. right, right. So the first fireside question is that a lot of companies uh, don't have transparent product processes. I want to ask, why do you think this happens and who needs to fix it and how?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So I I have to do a plug for trainual because that is what our product does. We are a process documentation tool. Uh, and so at, at Trainual, we have a we have a great place to put our process uh, and to document our process so people know how to operate if they have questions about how to run a certain part of the process or just learning the process. Like we have a tool that that teaches and trains people on that specifically, right? I think in regards to the question about you know why are people not documenting their process it's one of those things that I think if you have a very rigid uh, process that you have to follow and it's very, very strict, it doesn't allow you to be nimble and pivot, right? It doesn't allow you to take new insights and go a different direction. Or you may be spending a ton of time doing upfront research or validation, when in reality, you could probably build something and get it out there much quicker, right? And so I think because of depending on what you're working on and how your organization operates, like it can be very fluid and it can change. And it also changes like as you add new people, as you scale the organization, like what worked when it was a four-person team is not gonna work when it's a 30-person team, right? And so I think... Because those changes and because those things adapt, it's kind of hard to really figure out like, well, how do we want to operate? What are some of the themes we want to use? What is the process that we do want to actually follow? And I think that's a hard thing to figure out, right? And I think that's probably why people don't spend the time and energy to actually invest in that process. So for for us, and the way we've kind of handled that is... Uh, we call it a choose your own adventure. Right. And so depending on how confident we are in something or how much data or insight we have on a specific problem or how to solve a problem we will actually go relatively quickly through our process and we'll cut out some of the, you know, the data requests or some of the additional research calls that we would typically do um, just because we have our, already have those insights and data points so we can go much faster. Right. But if there are things where it's a new insight or something happening in the market or it's a new problem, uh, we'll, we'll do more exploratory discovery, right? So we'll spend more time validating it's worth solving. It's uh, invest research calls into that and make sure that we're mitigating risk for for the team and for the ultimately for the business as well. And so um, that's really kind of how we've done it. And it is a process that uh, is, has to adapt. And it's something that like as a product leader, it is your job to help build that process out. Uh, I think it does fall on the product leader's shoulders to define that and not do it in a silo, but work with the team to figure out what, what are our strengths, where are some of our weaknesses? Where are some of our bottlenecks? And then build a process that allows them to, to really thrive in that and not just do it, but do it really, really well and be able to repeat that process consistently, right? So that definitely falls on our shoulders as product leaders, but working with the team to identify how we want to operate, what do we want to live by, what principles do we want to follow, and then building a process that can adapt depending on the needs of the business and the, and the customer.
0: Okay. Second question. That was more
1: than two minutes. I know. Sorry. No, that was
0: a good. It was a good answer. Thank you. Um, second question is: There's a there's a lot of pressure in various product organizations that when a big customer comes along and you know wants a specific big feature uh, being uh, developed, um, you know it's a distraction. And so, how do you dig yourself out of the situation as a product leader?
1: So, um, first of all, I try not to dig the hole in the first place. And so usually like the general rule of thumb is like the 80 20 rule and so if someone has a request or is bringing something to the table and i'm chatting with them whatever the case is like what my job is is to find out is this going to solve a problem for like 80 percent of our customers and if it's not i'm very transparent up front to just say like hey i want to hear where you're where you're at what you're thinking about why we're thinking about this how this is going to help you know solve whatever problem it is in your organization but I I want you to be aware, like we're going to build stuff that solves problems for all of our customers, not just an individual. Right. So being very transparent about that up front is uh, it's a tough conversation to have. But I think people do appreciate that to just be super up front before you have them uh, spend time and energy invested with you and figuring things out. Um, And so the 80 20 rule is typically what I like to follow. But. It's, it's really your job then to figure out, well, what is the real problem that they're having? And does this apply to our broader customer base? And if it does, then it makes sense to potentially build that, right? And if it doesn't, this is probably not the right fit for where we're going as a product.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a hard conversation to have. And I don't know if that's a conversation you have or like, you know, somebody in your leadership team other than you has, but it's a tough one. Um, yeah, it's, it's not easy for sure. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right, third Fireside question is a lot of folks copy features from other competitors. It just happens all the time. What do they do? Like, why do they do it and um, not focus just on their customers that they should be? And what should they do instead?
1: Yeah, um, so I call that the shiny object syndrome, where it's like there's this shiny object that a competitor just released, it looks really cool, it's super flashy, and then immediately everyone's attention goes to that, and they just wanna like go build it, right? And so like, if you're spending all of your time focusing on what everyone else is doing, your product is really going to start to become, it's going to be diluted, right? Because you don't have a clear path, that, like the, the core customer you want to go after, the core problem that you're trying to solve and do better than anybody else. And if you're spending all the time looking at what everyone else is doing and trying to repeat that, your, your product's not going to do any one thing or two things really, really well. You're going to do th- a bunch of things, but subpar right and so it's important to understand as a product leader as even in product management like who is our customer who are we trying to solve for what is the problems that they have Uh, and how do we solve those problems you know a thousand times better than anybody else in the market right and that should be your focus it should be doing something so well that people can't reproduce it or people can't replicate that easy and that's what's going to differentiate you in the market that's what people are going to come to you as your your one thing that you do incredibly. And that's why people are going to come, you know, uh, convert and pay you money ultimately. So it's really kind of shifting that mindset to say like, what's the one thing that we want to do better than everybody else? Uh, And really kind of avoiding that shiny object syndrome. Because, you know, your competitors are going to do really cool stuff. They're going to put stuff out there. That's that's great. But that shouldn't be a distraction. That shouldn't dilute that one or two things that you want to be better than anybody else, um, basically in the product. So, yeah.
0: Very true. Um, don't get distracted by what other people are doing. <laughs> I think is a roller. Yeah. Um, last question. Uh, thank you, Taylor is, um, wanted to ask you about, uh, what your thoughts on about asking your users, what to, what you should build. How bad of an idea is it and what should you do instead?
1: Well, first I'll say, like, just talking with customers is always great, right? It's never bad to talk with customers. I think it's how you frame the questions or how you actually approach that is it's what matters the most, right? And so, you know, it's, uh, I'll give you a quick example. So when we started the conversation today, you asked me how I was doing, and I was like, "Great, good, right?" And it's it's human nature to just respond to somebody and say, "I'm doing great, I'm doing good," and I could have a terrible day right now, or it could be a you know you know maybe not a subpar day, right? And so it's human nature to try and appease people and try and say, give them the answer that they want, right? And so if I came to you or I went to a customer, I was like, "Hey, do you want this integration or do you want this feature?" Nine times out of ten, that person's going to be like, "Yes, I want it." right? Cuz they they want to make sure that you feel like you're being heard, that like you're bringing cool ideas to them. And so it's kind of like a biasy, it's kind of a trap that you get yourself into. Now, I said 9 times out of 10, you'll have that one person that just shoots you straight and they're like terrible idea. No, I don't want this. Like those those people are great. I love those people. I love talking with those people. But you don't always find them, right? And so it's really more about how you ask the question than it is like do you want this feature, right? And so uh, really, it comes down to what is the problem that that feature or that solution is trying to solve. And so always working your way back to the problem to say like, hey, does this idea, does that solve the problem that you told us that you had? Um, and, and, and that's one way of getting out of that, like, yes, this is valuable to me, or yes, this is what I want. In addition to that, using scales as well. So for example, like if I put um two solutions in front of you and i say hey um on a scale from one to five how valuable would one of these solutions be to you and your organization and if you came back and you said hey that's a four out of five or a three out of five it starts to allow me to dig into that and be like well well, what's missing from this solution or what do we not have um that we could be building that would get you to a five out of five right and doing that with multiple customers and repeating that, you'll start to find common themes and trends, and that's how you really know that your solution or your, your feature is onto the right thing. But like a, a feature or a solution is a great way to start that conversation. But it's how you ask the question, how you bake it back to the original problem that that customer had, is what's what's most important there.
0: And just a follow up question on on this: uh, um, I want to I want to know um, when you when you um, go through the process and you're. Uh, discussing a new feature with a customer, what kind of signifiers are you looking for as a product manager or designer enough times to determine the validity of building out that feature?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So there's usually, at least in my experience, it's like a rule of five to ten, right? And so, if you're onto something and uh, you're hearing the same thing about five times, you'll probably hear that from the additional people from you know five to ten conversations, right? And so, usually that's how many people we typically like to talk with. Is say, you know, let's talk with at a minimum five people, and if there are themes or is there any type of like uh, consistency in those conversations, you're gonna probably start hearing the same stuff between, you know, like I said, five to ten customers, right? So that's typically what we're looking. Looking for as far as how many people to talk with and to kind of validate you know what we're doing i think the the other thing too is like using things like the scale or the one to five like putting some sort of numerical value to something is also helpful as well because you can aggregate all that together and say like hey we've got four and a half out of fives or whatever that's high enough for us to feel confident that we will actually want to move forward but usually you'll start hearing common themes after you know five five customer calls okay okay all right, um, Taylor, that was awesome. Uh, thank you so much for
0: all your wealth of knowledge that you shared with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and supporting the show and following us on LinkedIn. Taylor, um, thank you so much.
1: Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, it was great to talk with you today.